0: We have just seen the completion of this wall in 52 days. You guys might remember again, Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem after 90 years since Zerubbabel came. And then later, uh, Ezra came, they built the temple, about 160 years since Babylon's captivity. And um, you guys remember after Babylon, they were conquered by the Medo-Persian empire. And a guy named Artaxerxes fulfilled the prophecy of Daniel 9 that you can start calculating from the time the decree would be given on 445 B.C. to the rebuilding of the walls in the city of Jerusalem. There is a, a set time, you can study it in Daniel 9, that when the Messiah, the prince, would come and be cut off, not for himself, put to death, not for himself, but for everyone else, so 445 B.C. and rebuilding the walls in the city—powerful prophecy being fulfilled—and he said it would be in—it would be in turbulent times, difficult times—and boy, it was. Remember Nehemiah from without had Tobiah and Sanballat and some others, some Arabs, and they were constantly uh, plotting and planning to, to to hurt him, kill him. Um, Attacked the city, never happened. God protected them. But even though they had all those obstacles from without and within, 52 days. I mean, people, no doubt, were thinking months, if not years, but not even two months. And it was finished and what a celebration they had. Well, chapter seven, verse one, then it was when the wall was built and I had hung the doors When the gatekeepers, the singers, the Levites had been appointed that I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hananiah, and I remember him back in uh, chapter one. His brother came, and he's the one who told Nehemiah about the difficult situation the Jews back in Israel were in because the walls uh, had not yet been rebuilt. Well, and then there's another guy sounds very similar to Hananiah, but he's not the same guy. And Hananiah, the leader of the Citadel, he was a faithful man, feared God more than many. So um, practically, I I love this. The walls had been hung, uh, the doors had been hung, and the gatekeepers, the guards, over watching the gates and who's coming in and out, keeping an eye out for enemies. But then spiritually, the singers, the Levites were put in their places. Remember the people were rebuilding the walls, but they didn't think Getting the wall is the accomplishment. The whole point was they had a temple that they couldn't use. Because every time they gathered in any amount of numbers of people, Tobias and Balat and the Arabs would come and attack them. So the whole point of building the walls is that they could worship. And I, I love this that immediately they are putting in place the practical uh, things that need to take place that God could be worshiped. Uh, I can tell you, doing several building projects myself and helping out others uh, in other countries even to do building projects, often when the building project is done, everybody's like, oh, I'm done, I'm done. I just wanna sit and uh, maybe I need a break for a while. They, they, it's, it's so overwhelming once the job is done that They feel like that was the accomplishment, but it's never the reason, right? The whole point of the building is what happens in the building afterwards. And buildings are a great tool. Maybe the Lord will give us our own building one day. Well, I gave charge of Jerusalem. In other words, he he realizes that I'm only temporarily here as the governor. I need to start weaning myself out. And so he put his brother Hanani really as The replacement governor uh, we're going to discover later nehemiah has to go back and visit artaxerxes and he's able to come back but he he realizes that he needs to uh, delegate his responsibilities off his shoulders onto others and he gave it to faithful men who feared god i'll tell you what that is not a small thing people who have a deep respect and honor to want to be pleasing to the Lord. And out of that, they're just faithful, grinding it out. If you've lived long enough and you've been a grinder, you know about all the different seasons that come and go, don't you? If you've been married for a few decades, you know how different decades are different. If you've had kids that you've taken from zero to, well, in my case, all my kids are in their 30s, every season's different every season there's a challenge isn't there but we also know that every season grinds us and gives us a greater character and people that have grinded through season after season if you've been in a church a long time you've seen all kinds of seasons and in every one of them you, you've got to kick yourself and poke yourself and prod yourself and beat yourself to continue to be faithful. And and uh, another interesting thing is why you do what you do when you're a teenager for the Lord changes in your 20s, changes again in your 30s, changes again in your 40s. I saw that growing up as a church. People would get into their late 40s and see you later. They just quit coming to church, maybe Easter. Christmas or something I was I was shocked at that I really was but I saw it even uh, in in my late teenage years of my 20s people that were just faithful servants they the truth was they were going to church 99% of the reason was for their kids their kids to have good examples to know the Bible they didn't want their kids to be a bunch of heathens but when their kids weren't there and they didn't have to get up and get the kids ready to take them and, you know, dad, what kind of person are you? You don't go to church. Oh, no, I go to church. I, you know, but once the, the pressure of the kids being a part of the Sunday school and the teens and and the youth, the youth trips and stuff, they, they realized that was all my reason for going to church. And I, I really don't have that anymore. And so their faithfulness Really wasn't a faithfulness. It it really was for reasons other than being faithful to, just for the Lord. I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm not doing it for any other reason than I just want to be faithful to God, and uh, and to be a blessing to other people. We know First Corinthians four. Paul says it all comes down to that. That God's going to come back, and he just talked about it in First Corinthians three. How judgment's going to happen, and. Some people's works are going to be haywood and studdable. Other people's works are going to be gold and silver. And, the, and he says, and you want to know how I'm going to end up in that judgment? He goes, I don't know. I do know I've been faithful. And I do know that is at the top of the list. Matter of fact, it's about the first top five things on God's list. Were you faithful? Were you faithful? Were you faithful? And I can tell you that I've not stopped grinding it out. I'm, I'm still... Following God in each season of my life, no matter how hard it is. Proverbs, Solomon, in all his wisdom, he said, every man will proclaim his own goodness, but just a faithful man who can find. And I'd say here in this fellowship, there are some definite, amazing, faithful men and women. And I can tell you, even though it looks like they're doing what they're doing very gracefully, without sweat, that in reality they are grinding, they are grinding it out. You guys can get some notes over there if you want. And um, and it, it, without them, it's it's hard to imagine what would have happened to the church here. Well, verse three, and I said to them, "Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot." And while they started to guard, where they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. So we need some guards, various types of guards. Normally the the shofar, the the bugle would be blown uh, when the sun would go down and that would be the official sun going down, which was important for the Sabbath day, but they would mark when the sun went down and another bugle would be blown very early in the morning while it was still dark, saying that the day has begun but they really should not open the gates at that time which was normally the custom people would come in while it's still dark get in get their shop set up which is a tent and sort of like a swap meet for us and he said no we're not going to do it because it's too dangerous the enemy is still being too vicious and uh, we need to to change the culture here and not open that gate too soon for our protection. The best way to fight the enemy is to be at guard. To have your armor on, right? I'm not going to teach all of Ephesians 6, since we're going to do that in a couple of weeks. But in Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You're not going to be able to put the armor on once you're getting stabbed. You've got to have the armor on before the enemy shows up, right? In the same way he's saying here, we need the guards prepared and ready. And uh, we're going to change the culture so things are safer for everybody in this city. Now, verse four and five. Now, the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not rebuilt. So the, the enemy knew that, that if he came in any kind of number, he would have a victory. There wasn't very many people, so they got the walls built, but it was a big empty city. Then my God put into my heart. I love that when the Lord speaks. I love that when God stirs my heart with a uh, direction. But he had this, this heart pulling from the Lord to gather the nobles, the rulers, the people, that they might be registered by genealogy. So he's like, hey, we gotta get together. And I need everybody's name and their kids and, and we're, you know, let's go back in our lineage, what tribe you are, and, and try to get a, a genealogy going. But as he started doing that, they realized we already have one. They found the register of the genealogy to those who had come up first to return. Back in Ezra chapter 2, remember there was a super long chapter, uh, 70 verses in it. This is Zerubbabel's list from 90 years earlier that they found that had been written, and also under Ezra. And so uh, the people were few, the houses weren't built, that put them in a vulnerable position, so they needed more people to come and live in the city. Thus, they would build houses, thus there would be safer for everybody there, and it would be safer for people to come and worship because they would have more people to defend the city. And um, so they got this genealogy together. Now, you might remember back. I like what Ezra chapter two, verse one, it says. Now, these are the people of the providence who came back from the captivity and those who had been carried away. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away to Babylon and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his own city. So we pick up in, in chapter seven, verse six of Nehemiah, and it says here, these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity, those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried away, and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his own city. Now it gives this big list, I'm not gonna go through it, but it breaks it down uh, into the various leaders and uh, who the, the priests were and, and all of that. So this was important. We're going to discover here in a few chapters that you were on that list or if you weren't on that list, it's important. But at the very end of this chapter in verse 64, there was a group of guys whose name wasn't on a list and they sought their listing among those who had registered by genealogy, but it was not found. Therefore, they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled. So their name wasn't in the list. They weren't on the genealogy. So they were defiled. They said, you cannot be a priest. And you've been doing priestly jobs. You need to stop it immediately and um, quit eating of the various sacrifices. You had no right to do that. And this has evidently been going on for years. And the governor said to them that they should not eat of the most holy things till the priest could consult with the Urim and the Thummim. You guys remember that? The high priest had some rocks, I guess, a white one and a black one, some say. Um, the Mormons say it was a, some glasses that Joseph Smith wore and he could uh, interpret the, the Egyptian hieroglyphics uh, from the Book of Mormon, but uh, I don't think that's what it was. Um, and so until the high priest can consult, um, you guys are defiled, you're not to be a part. Of course, for us, you got to be in the book of life, right? <laughs> Everybody's name who's not in the book of life is defiled and will not make it to heaven. All you have to do to get your name in that book of life is believe upon Jesus. You will never perish. You will have eternal life. To as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. So simple if you're willing to need a savior, Jesus, and believe on him. Well, going on in verse 66 now, although the whole assembly was forty-two thousand three hundred and sixty, besides their male and female servants, which bumped it up to around forty-nine thousand people, of whom there were seven thousand three hundred and thirty-seven, and they had two hundred and forty-five men and women singers. Their horses were seven hundred and thirty-six, their mules. Uh, 245, their camels 435, and the donkeys 6,720. You guys remember these verses, right? How many donkeys they had from last time we read this? So, verse 70. So, some of the heads of the father's house gave to the work, the governor gave to the treasury 1,000 gold drachmas, 50 basins, 530 priestly garments. Some of the heads of the father's house gave to the treasury of the work 20,000 gold drachmas. 2,200 silver minas. So some of these people coming back, which was only about 2% of the people that went to Babylon. Just think about that. 98% of the Jews did not come back. They stayed in all the vast various countries of Babylon rather than to be in the place of the Lord. But some of these people that came back wealthy prominent businessmen well in 72 uh, and that which the rest of the people gave was 20,000 gold drachmas 2,000 silver minus 667 priestly garments and in verse 73 so the priests and the Levites the gatekeepers the singers some of the people of the Nethanim and all the Israel dwelt in their cities when the seventh month came this is important the children Of Israel were in their cities the seventh month is September October so that brings us now into chapter 8 in verse 1 now now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded Israel Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of the men and the women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And I'm not going to go into this tonight, but that would be the feast of trumpets. In verse three, then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate. That is not in the temple area, guys. The water gate is the northeastern part of Jerusalem. So um, it evidently was the largest open square at that time. And they did it from morning until midday before the men and the women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people who were attentive. Not everybody was willing, but everybody who was attentive to the book of the law. Guys, the spirit of God is moving. The people had the city walls up. There wasn't much there. There weren't grocery stores really built yet. There weren't too many places to go take a nap or to to go, uh, you know, a baby section, you know, go home and put the baby down for a nap or anything. They're in a very uncomfortable situation. Basically, just a big empty space but the people it doesn't seem like they were directed to do this their hearts were hungry and they were hurting and they just came and they all gathered in this big space and they they knew the walls getting built was not the end the end was being able to worship God to follow God to hear and know God and We've not in our entire lives. And we're here and we're ready. And the leaders, I love this, it wasn't Nehemiah. It says they went and got Ezra. So it sounds like Hanani nee or some of the other leaders are going, guys, the, the whole population is out there about, we know about 50,000 people, probably much more by now. We're talking tens of thousands of people and they're not budging, they're not leaving. They're all sitting around and talking and maybe they brought some food and they're eating and, and, uh, and they're waiting for us to lead them and, and worship. So hurry up and, and it appears they quickly uh, built a platform for the Nehemiah or Ezra and the guys to stand on and they started reading um, the Word of God. It has a phrase there, they came together as one man. I'm not going to do a word study on that tonight, but you should. When people get together as one man of one heart and one mind, it's powerful. You guys might remember the Tower of Babel. They got together as one man in rebellion against God. And they were going to build a tower that went into heaven. I don't know what that means. But it says succeed. And so God gave them different languages and scattered them throughout the earth. Wow. Men and demonic purposes. Yet united can succeed. We've seen that. We call that the Democratic Party. Only in jest if you're a Democrat, only in jest. <laughs> Not really, but only in jest. But <laughs> God's people getting together united. It's amazing what God can do, but it's a beautiful thing to the Lord. He loves to meet men, godly men and women, when they have that heart of unity We know psalms 133 that whole psalm well right this is one of the songs they would sing each year as they were journeying on their way up to jerusalem it's called the hillel or the the songs of ascent behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity it's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard the beard of aaron running down on the edge of his garments it is like the dew of hermon descending upon the mountains of zion And there the Lord commanded blessings and life evermore. The Lord just saw that time when they were unified in building the tabernacle and then anointing the first high priest and they were dumping oil on him and laughing and he was just getting drenched. He's this greasy mess. His clothes are all greasy, his hair is all greasy, it's just dripping on the ground. And they're laughing and and they're all just so full of joy. It was just a moment in time of unity that God said, that was so sweet. It was sweet to me, but it was so sweet to everyone who was a part of that. In the New Testament, Paul says, hey, endeavoring, (laughs) It almost sounds like it's an impossible thing to happen very often, but <laughs> endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You know, if we can't do a lot right, let's do this right. And we, as we've been studying in Ephesians on Sunday morning, it really comes back to that kindness, huh? Being imitators of Christ, loving one another, have mercy on one another as Christ has forgiven us and had mercy and kindness uh, poured upon us to just be prepared to do that to each other. Well then they told Ezra so they came and got him and and the people were like hey we're sitting here we're not going anywhere. We built this wall to worship and we're worshiping and we're wanting to know what we're supposed to do next in order to worship God. It's amazing how ignorant these people were they had no knowledge whatsoever. So they brought out the book of the law of Moses, that'd be the first five books of our Old Testament called the law or the Torah. People get mixed up, especially in the Psalms and the Proverbs and stuff when it says the the law of the Lord is perfect. That's just what they called their Bible. That's the only Bible they had at that time. That was just the name of their Bible. That would be, um, you know, the word Bible is actually not in the Bible, right? (laughs) It, It just, it's just the Latin word that means book. And so that was what they called the name of their book. So even the parts of the book that weren't the law, they still called it the law. Even the parts that were historical about the Kings and the Psalms and the Proverbs and the the prophecies and all of that, even though those weren't laws, it's all, that's just the name of their whole Bible that the the Hebrews have. So just, just remember that. So they brought out their Bible and uh, the Bible that they been working on since Moses started working on it and Ezra the scribe and Ezra the priest. The Time we get to the New Testament with Jesus, the scribes were sort of bad guys, along with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. <coughs> but the scribes were actually just guys who spent a lot of time writing the scrolls out by hand. Um, they were very dedicated, very worshipful men. But Ezra was one of these guys that spent most of his time writing out the scripture. And he was the guy back in the book of Ezra, as you remember, that um, built the temple. It was him that came and and, uh, years after Zerubbabel and they got the temple built. It was quite an amazing thing. And, And I love this. But back in Ezra, when they were dedicating the temple, the same thing happened. They came together on the seventh month with one accord and they began to worship God. And it was a powerful time, but that was decades earlier. But I I love when people are hungry for the Lord. God's spirit is moving. Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled and so the walls are done. That wasn't why we built the walls to have walls. We built the walls to worship. Let's get down to it. Well, aren't you guys tired? We're exhausted, but we're here to worship. Well, don't you have farms to get back to? We sure do. We need to make some money, pay our taxes and, and uh, take care of our kids, but we want to worship there was no downtime there was no pause they went from hanging the doors finishing everything to plopping themselves down waiting to start the worship and so he read from it in the open square from dawn till midday about six hours of reading of the scripture. If you have you ever back in the old days, you had cassettes and you had CDs and now you can do it on the Internet. But if you look that guy, you know, they have different guys reading the scripture, you know, just from Genesis to Revelation, just reading it. Almost all of them. It's about 72 hours. That's it. That's the Old and the New Testament. Our Bible is not too big. It's just Perfect. We don't need more. We, we have a challenge with what we have, but it is not so big. I, I love George Mueller. He's the guy who had the orphans in England, great men. He believed he needed to read the entire Bible every season of his life, so four times a year. But when you really look at it, it's about just a few chapters a day. I, I think it's a little under 10 chapters a day that you can read the entire Bible, um, I believe, once a month, isn't it? something like that. It's, it's not very much. I can't remember that. I haven't written down. I haven't looked it up. But six hours, guys, that would get you to the whole first five books of the Bible at least once, if not several times. So these guys were really getting into it. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says to Timothy, Give yourself to the public reading of scripture. I wonder if that's what he was thinking about here. I have a friend of the Calvary Chapel and before he starts a new book, they spend an entire Sunday morning reading the whole book. The first time he thought he would get excited and he said, you're all going to stand the whole time. I read this just like they did in Nehemiah and uh, it didn't work so well. Americans don't like to stand for even an hour. Um, doesn't do that anymore. But then he, he did have it just like here. We're going to see there was another group of men on stage. He actually then would have the elders be reading through that book. And they would all come up with a point in the book somewhere that God spoke to them, share it with the people. And then the people would get together in groups and pray over that truth. And they would do four or five, six different truths. And after they read the whole thing, they would then spend times in groups praying over those truths. Pretty interesting. A challenge to the American uh, appetite. But, you know, back in the the day, I I was listening to Chuck Smith on Nehemiah. And uh, he only has it in the first version from 79 to 85. And all his studies at that time were an hour and a half. But at the end of the Bible study, Chuck would say, okay, we're going to stop here. And you can hear the people complaining. No, oh, oh, oh I, I know you're sad. But those days when I, when I first started pastoring, I every sermon was an hour and a half. And always the people wanted more. It was never like, oh, man, hour and a half, you're killing us, man. It was never that way. It was like, oh, please, one more verse, Brian. Go oh, one more verse just another 10 minutes come on I don't want you to stop yet you surprised me I, I, I haven't even felt like I got fed enough yet so I, I can imagine the spirit of what's going on here and I, I don't think six hours they're going oh man killing me I think it was like give me more give me more I want more revival a wonderful place to be an easy place for a pastor to pastor in revival Well, verse four now, so Ezra and the scribes stood at the platform of wood, which they had made for this purpose. Beside him in his right hand stood uh, these group of leaders and on the left hand, another group of leaders. And verse five, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, and lifting up their hands. And then they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So they quickly made a platform to lift Ezra up so he could be heard and seen. But it was big enough where he had two groups of guys on each side of him, different various leaders. Some, no doubt, pri- were priests. And... Um, What these guys did were were not positive. Some say that they all took turns reading, and some say that no, they all spoke various languages because the people came back, Babylon was big. They didn't all speak the same language, so the people had forgot Hebrew. And so he's reading in Hebrew. Most of the people probably didn't know Hebrew, but understood a bit of it. Amazing, back in the beginning, Of Israel and restarting up as a nation you might remember the Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion said we're going to learn Hebrew again we're going to create the language from what we know of the Bible take all the words we know and then we're going to recreate it and teach it and speak it and so this this language that had been dead for 2,000 years was resurrected had a guy in my church who was Jordanian and Arab who spoke Arabic Um, he went to Israel with me and he understood a lot of the Hebrew and since then he's been back to Israel a few times he has family in Jordan still and he has learned Hebrew and he said it's very very close to the Arabic and a a lot of uh, sentence structures and the way they work it, it was a little bit different but not so different So I think that people probably somewhat understood it from all the various similar roots of the languages they spoke, but probably they didn't understand all of the words. But um, they were up there on the stage supporting Ezra and standing with him. As a leader, that's invaluable by them standing there and giving attention and being awake and aware and into it and excited about it being an example of somebody who's eating it up themselves by them showing how important it is would be communicating to the people how important this is and when a point has been made and they get it and they're pierced to the hearts and maybe these guys are discussing it amongst themselves. People are like, wow, what what happened? What was that point they made? And so somewhere along the lines, these guys, whether they came to the pulpit or whether they went out into the crowds, they began to expand it to them, explain it to them, help them to understand it. And uh, it was a, a powerful, time they had in doing this i love the fact that they stood up in such respect to the word of god but ezra got up and he was just full of the spirit he just started in prayer and praised god and the people said amen which is not the end of the prayer it means yes i believe in that truth I, i i i agree with that truth and then they lifted up their hands, blessing God. You know, when you lift up hands, sometimes it's to receive from the Lord. Sometimes we have the song, I'm just receiving from the Lord this way. And then sometimes it's, you putting your hands up saying, I surrender. That's a truth that I'm not obeying. God, I surrender. Lifting of the hands can mean different things. And then they worshiped by bowing their face, or excuse me, um, by bowing down and then their faces to the ground, a sign of great humility. There was, there was already a prepared heart by obeying God and building the wall. You see, as they built the wall, that they were plowing the field of their own. And the time they worked with God in this miracle of building the walls, their hearts were so plowed up ready for the seed of God's word to go in. Well, in Nehemiah 8, verse 7 there, so this group of guys I was telling you about and the Levites, they helped the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. And they read directly from the book, important, in the law of God. And they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. I love that Term, they gave it a sense. Now, again, I think they didn't understand a lot of Hebrew, so they had to have the language explained, but then also, no doubt, the spiritual truths. But we really get for the first time a real direct example of expositional teaching. You know, first, what does it say to the first people who heard it? So that's what we have. So if we're going through the New Testament and, and Jesus is speaking to the multitude, we, we want to say this was in Israel. This wasn't in Oklahoma. And this is the geography of Israel. And Galilee, it's the lowest freshwater on planet Earth. It's a, a lake, even though your Bible says by the sea, I grew up thinking it was a sea like ocean and you're, they're surfing and stuff. It wasn't until late in my teenage years somebody said, "No, it's not the ocean. The Mediterranean Sea is is not too far from there, but that's that's the sea." No, the word "sea" is is an unfortunate translation. Really, um, it just means a body of water, but it's a lake. By the Lake of Galilee, it just doesn't sound right, does it? Jesus spoke by the Lake of Galilee. That's the truth, but it we would, it would say "sea" of Galilee, but. And then the, the geography of it and, of course, going there. Oh, that's life changing. We're going to do that. And um, and then, you know, what what were they wearing? What was it like when Jesus talked about Pharisees? What's a Pharisee when Jesus talked about a, a, a farmer or a shepherd? What what's that like? We, we haven't been raised around sheep. What are sheep like? What's a shepherd do? We have to say, what were those first generation people hearing? And once we understand what they're hearing, then we can say, okay, here's how this applies to us today. Or here's maybe instead of the sower and the seed, here's an analogy that would work in our uh, understanding of living in the city life today. And from that, you get an application. And this is where the gift of teaching comes in. It is a supernatural work. Romans 12 talks about there's various gifts by the grace of God given. And one of those is a teaching gift, which hopefully I'm doing right now. And there's a Holy Spirit gift being worked at operation right now. First Corinthians 12, 28 says it's the third most important gift to the church. After an apostle and a prophet, third is a teacher. And then in Ephesians 4, God gave to the church. And one of those things is a combined role of a guy who's a pastor and a teacher and these guys are speaking the truth and the love until everybody grows up to the unity of the faith to a mature believer walking in the fullness of Christ and the understanding of Christ and walking the way Christ would have us to walk that's our job so it appears that Ezra was really the first pastor teacher uh, whether he knew it or not and i love this more they gave it the sense it's an example of maybe a child for the first time trying to read the newspaper and and you're going okay that's the obituary section i don't think you want to read that uh, you know here's the and, and you break down the newspaper and 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 let them read it out loud and ask them if they understand what they just read it's interesting when i first started teaching bible studies back in the early 80s we would have home bible studies and people would sit around in groups and you know everybody read a verse or two and depending on the text and everybody put it in your own words what's it say you know and uh you you know the the verses um and paul you know was beaten and then put in prison um in philippi and the guy would read it and say what that does that mean uh, God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our life. And then you go to the next guy and he, you know, what does it say? God loves us and, and it's like, okay, I, I realize they, they can't actually read English words and understand what they're reading at the same time. So I had to very slowly just say, okay, Paul, do you know who Paul is? Yes. And Silas, we talked about him, yeah. What happened to them? Uh, they love God, and he has a wonderful plan. No, what happened there? They got beaten. Read it again. They got beaten. Okay. And it took a while, but, you know, in a few weeks, people could actually read and understand what they read. And uh, we had moved right along. And uh, and so I think here you've got a real mixed group of people. One, it would have been quite difficult because, you know, Ezra's reading from a scroll, so one, you don't have a Bible like we do on our pulpit. It would have been a group of guys working together to manipulate the scrolls. And while they're manipulating these scrolls, usually on a big table, you, you've got a guy following along reading. Of course, it's going the opposite direction, right? <laughs> you know, it's they're reading this way going that way. And, um, and so the people, Again, you know, did they understand what the word tabernacle meant? Did they understand what it meant to to have a wave offering or a peace offering? I'm sure they had to just explain it to them. So the conclusion is is really the, the reading and the teaching, a reading time and a teaching time, the expository preaching, what we're doing hopefully right now. We read the word literally, what it says, except for some of those hard names in this point. Sorry about that. If Matthias were teaching it, Matthias, you'd read all those names, wouldn't you? You did in Ezra, didn't you? You did read the whole chapter. Did you read the chapter with all the names? Yeah, he did it. He actually did it. I, I, I was amazed. I cannot do that. I'm somewhat dyslexic to begin with. but. Uh... And then secondly, to give it a sense. Maybe the translation is needed. Maybe you, didn't, you got to know the Greek or Hebrew word uh, or the Aramaic word, as we have in our Bible. And uh, it was hard for them to understand. Help them understand it, various words, various phrases. And then they understand literally what it's saying. And then from there, you help them now to apply it to their life. What is the point of the thing? What does the passage and how does it affect my life? What are the principles I learned from that passage of what I actually need to do? We're going to get there next week in chapter eight. But boy, they jumped right on it. And what they read, they're like, hey, this is talking about the day that we're on. The seventh month and this day, we're supposed to be doing this. And they jumped right on it. As the same way they did in Ezra, actually. So all the people, it says they wept. Notice here in verse nine through 11 now. And Nehemiah, who was the... Governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, the Levites who taught the people and said all the people, the day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep for all the people wept and they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the, eat the fat, big amen on that, yeah. Drink the sweet, amen on that, yes. Send portions to those from whom nothing is prepared for this is the day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Great little phrase there we love. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. So they they were being rebuked. They hadn't been obeying the word of God. And they realized right there, God said there's a cursing and a blessing and a curse if you're not obeying it uh, and a blessing if you are obeying it. And they, they just realized we're, we're guilty. We're, we're not in God's will. Interesting, Paul says that the word of God for us, as New Testament believers, is the same thing. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, God-breathed, profitable for doctrine, now notice, correction, instruction and righteousness, three things to rebuke us, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. David Guzik said, sometimes it hurts to be reproved or corrected, and these tears were evidence of some of that pain but this is a day of the Lord. If they go back, the time of the tabernacles, we're gonna be in it next week, was a time of celebration. They were to make a little tent and live in it for seven days, and the kids loved it. It was a fun, joyful, every day was a feast. So they said, although you're weeping over the fact that you've not been obeying God's word, God's word says to build the tabernacle, but it's a time of rejoicing. So what did the people have to do? They had to rebuke their emotions. They had to tell their emotions, stop and be the opposite. Even though you're feeling one way, you need to do the opposite. Do you you realize that's what we have to do every day? If you go by your emotions, 99% of the time, you're, you're living foolishly and wrong. Have you noticed that? And, and this is a good example when it comes to serving the Lord. People come in, I don't feel like singing. So what? Who cares? This is the time to sing. Make a joyful noise. Sing to the Lord. Praise Him. Worship Him. I just feel like crap. It doesn't matter how you feel. This, this is what we're saying. No to our emotions. It doesn't matter what your emotions think. We're coming to... Let's sing loud and to the Lord joyfully. I don't feel like going to church. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. How you feel. This is what God's commanded us in his word to do. Well, we'll look at this more next week. But verse 12 says this. And all the people went their way to eat and drink to send portions and rejoicing greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. What a powerful, powerful time they were having after these walls got built well what's jumping out to you and your hearts through this passage tonight are any questions you might have not everybody at once please just slow down slow down I can relate to it more than, like, some other book, you know, like, Old or something. But I can totally relate to everything that's going on here and see a parallel in our lives as Christians. Yeah. It, it, it is. Uh, every time I've taught the book of Nehemiah, which has been many times, it's just amazing how it's just, this is exactly what we need. We need a leader. We need revival. We need to build a wall, whatever that wall might be. Yep. Kurt? You were going to say, you looks like you were going to say something. Like... You were just thinking about it beforehand. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> um, no, I, I was uh, thinking the same thing in terms of uh, when uh, you know, we don't feel like doing something. Uh, it, like you said, it's irrelevant. Um, the, the children of Israel had been. Disobedient, but when they felt uh, God calling, they were, you know, they, they obeyed. And it's just like, you know, you know uh, if you don't want to, you know, I don't want to go to a long Bible study. Well, <laughs> we need to worship, and we need to uh, be in God's Word. And uh, and to understand that God's going to bless that is, is really important. Amen. On well, page 8, the pile. Is a quote That says, yet if the sense of conviction is greater than the sense that God is giving a and holy word, then tears are not good. Can you give me an example? The quote goes on. Keep going to the next page nine. The quote continues. Our knowledge of our sin will never be bigger than our knowledge of Jesus as our Savior. We are great sinners, but He is a great Savior. Therefore, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Even when you are being convicted of sin, when we are convicted of sin, we know that God is doing to work in us so we can be glad and take joy. Yeah, so when when the word of God convicts us and we're like, we're guilty, we can't stay there. We can't, you know... I see you next week, you're like, I'm still feeling horrible about that sin. I see you next week, I'm still just, uh, I just I'm feeling horrible. It's like, no, hold it. The, the whole point of conviction is it's something that hits hard and quick, but then our faith takes over and we realize God only brought me to see that sin and to be sorry for that sin to cleanse me and to help me in the future have victory over that sin and and to start getting my eyes on him and being thankful that even that he paid on the cross and he's my savior, he's getting me from A to Z. So that's what he's saying there is that they had to do exactly that. It's like as great as their sorrow was over their sin, they now, now needed to have that same joy over the savior, the same passion of rejoicing of a savior faith that God is doing something right. Yes. Even though they've sinned. Okay, yes, exactly. I have a question. Um, how, I always have a problem with this. How do you square, <clears throat> I'm just going to worship you though I don't feel like it. You're thinking about where you're going to lunch or something, you know, and where the, this pastor says, these people draw near, near me with their lips their hearts far from me. How do you how do you square that so it has, so it, it, you're right in a sweet spot, you know what I mean? Um, Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I just think that um, it's a day-by-day day thing. And as we mature, you know, um, as believers, we just walk more by the truth of God's Word and less by our fillings. And we go through valleys, don't we? We go through times where we're just exhausted Emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever it is, we just, again, grind. We're faithful. May not be 100% getting everything I should get, or 100% worshiping to the degree I could, but I'm being faithful. I'm here. I'm pushing through it. But we do have those down times. There's valleys, aren't there? Yeah. But you know, far as the whole passage in Matthew, Jesus wasn't rebuking the New Testament church about their hearts being far from Him. He was rebuking a group of Pharisees who were out and out disobeying parts of God's word so they could keep their traditions that the earlier rabbis had told them. to do. And eventually the rabbis were telling them the opposite of what to do in the Bible, sort of like the Catholic Church is doing with the Bible, the Pope. And, you know, they've given decrees that are opposite of the Bible. They didn't know the Bible so now it's like to be a good catholic or be i a good christian <laughs> i have to disobey the catholic church to obey god's word identical so that was why he was saying their hearts were far from him because they they were replacing the bible with their traditions good stuff yes It's a beautiful incense to the Lord from what the Bible says. Um, I I know I'm angelic, but I haven't actually been in the heavenlies yet to to know personally. Um, I just know what the Bible says as well. So, yeah, it's it's the Lord loves it. It's a beautiful incense. I I love that point in Revelation where God actually has to take all the incense and burn it before he can end everything. And And the incense were the prayers of the saints. So he's got to finish answering all the prayers before he can conclude all things. And the prayers were an in incense. The beautiful smell uh, you know, of incense in the temple was the prayers of the saints. So I know our prayers are, are beautiful to him. And I know the worship, uh, when our hearts are, are pure and right in, in our worship to him, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. said the part right. that of- the Bible never says to read the Bible because um, it was in the synagogue and people you know the kids were to memorize it uh, by 12 years old but it was never about reading it was about meditating on it and uh, that very thing just as we read the Bible now because we can That's only happened in the last 400 years of Christendom really of mankind you know having the printing press um, we, we need to Get past the reading of it to meditating on it and and really praying it to me That's how I meditate as I pray the Word of God as I read it. I pray it and um, Every word that I'm reading is is a prayer to God and and saying Lord put that into my heart and And uh, and apply it to my life and Lord speak it to me. Holy Spirit help me lead me as I'm studying this passage Yeah, it's a worship in God's Word that we're to have yeah good stuff come on up guys and we're going to pray a few minutes here and worship Um, Lord we desire this revival in us Lord we desire it in our own hearts God that we're those people that just want to come and sit at your feet for hours Lord we think of the ladies that followed you Jesus and ministered to your physical needs and and we think of uh, the ones that came and washed your feet with their hair and wept and the tears were the water to wash your, the dust off your feet, Lord. We, we desire that to be those worshipers, Lord, that we're not lifting our hands in a deadness, but it's a true love for you, a true surrender, a true receiving, Lord, we wanna bow. We want it to be from our hearts of just truly God be honored in our life. So search our hearts right now, Lord. See if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way of everlasting. Make us tender hearted Christians that repent easily, that are turned easily, not like the mule or the horse that's gotta be jerked about by a bridle, but just with your eye, with the gentle spirit of Jesus. Let's have a couple more prayers before we sing.